what you know is fear and anxiety are looking for the right person. That's what fear and anxiety do. We, we don't want to be alone. That's its instinct, as it, as it should be. And here's what scripture says. This has become a, a, a dear passage to me over the past few years. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. But here's the, here's, here's the amazing part. To bring us to God. To bring us to God. Forgiveness of sins is not the end in itself. See, there's only one thing that can separate us from our God, and that's our own sins. And your God has been committed before the very, very beginning of time to draw you close to himself. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. So he would be close to ourselves. It begins in Eden where you are called, your mission is fundamentally to go for a walk with the Lord. That's your mission. Now, what you, what you learn after a while is that Eden was actually a tabernacle. This was God's house on earth. It was going to have different renditions of the tabernacle. But in the very beginning, you are, what's your purpose? To be close to God. That, that is the pinnacle, in many ways, of the, of the power of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul says, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Because your sins, once and for all, have been covered. They've been atoned for. Psalm 23, one of our favorite psalms. It's when you, sometimes when you want to find out what the Hebrew is up to, you look for the center of a, of a poem. That's, that's where the action is. The center of Psalm 23 is, you are with me. You are with me. That's, that's the pinnacle. And this walk that, can, that starts in a nice little meadow, but it goes through some horrifying terrain filled with fears. You are with me. <clears throat> what you're anticipating, I mentioned this very briefly, is, is that the Spirit enlightens us, gives us a mission to grow in something, and then the, then the growth is going to be a gradual growth. Certainly knowing the presence of God in a way that it makes a difference in the way we stand against fears. Anticipate that the Lord is pleased for you to pursue him, ask him for, for, for the knowledge of his presence, for, for knowing his presence, and his desire to be present with you. And you ask, and you ask. Then you go to scripture, and you, you get more confidence that indeed his commitment is to be close. A lot of you know this particular passage, but it's it, I find it to be a helpful one. This is a picture of God's closeness, if you will. This is 2 Corinthians, I'm 2 Kings 6.15. The context is the king of Syria is angry with Elisha because Elisha has secret knowledge about the king of Syria's plans. And so the king of Syria comes and is ready to kill the man of God. 
Uh, and the man of God, Elisha, had a servant. When the servant of the man of God got up early, when I got up and went out early the next morning, an army, the Syrian army, with horses and chariots, had surrounded the city. And he said, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, he was, he, he was calling, well, he wasn't just a saying, he was calling out to Elisha. You know, Elisha, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid. There it is. Don't be afraid. Oh, okay. I have to st- By the way, when I said absolutely, don't be afraid, absolutely it's sin, I was saying that's what it seems to be. Okay, was, I hope that was clear. It seems like it would be sin, but when you get into Scripture, it is not sin. It is, it is weakness. It's part of your humanity. So the prophet says, don't be afraid. And what we're anticipating is when you hear those words, they're going to give you a reason to be a bit more courageous in the midst of difficulties. And remember what he says? There are those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked up and saw the hills full of the horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's I find that, I realize it's a common story, but I find it, it's, it's one that, that leads me into that particular prayer. Lord, open my eyes to know that you are close. And the crazy thing is, you want to be close. It is your, it is your desire to be close to, to your people. All kinds of ways that, that he says this to us, an attractive one is the financial context in the book of Hebrews. Toward the end of Hebrews, it says this, I will, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. But the, the way it's presented is, I will never, never leave you, and I will never, never, never forsake you. The writer of Hebrews is showing his sort of Hebraic background. When you want to, when you want to magnify something, you repeat it. So when you come into the throne room, people are not just saying, holy is the Lord. They're saying, holy, holy is the Lord. No, they're saying, holy, holy, holy. It's the thrice holy. That's, it's the repetition that adds oomph to the words of, of Scripture. And what the Lord says to you is, I'll never leave you. He says, no, no. I'll never, never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. No, I'll, I'll never, never, never forsake you. This is, this is the appeal that you will find throughout Scripture. These beautiful appeals of the Lord who comes to you in the midst of the, the perfect problem to have because you will hear the most beautiful words from God in the midst of this particular problem. And then his last words to his people. Behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Now, I am not anticipating that all of a sudden we're thinking, wow, this is great. (laughs) It's it's not new, but it's this gradual growth. There is more for every single one of us in knowing the presence of our God with us in the midst of our fears. There is more available. So you seek it. You, You pray for such things becomes a lifelong mission that the Lord 
will give you eyes of faith to be able to see increasingly clearly. Those are, we'll see how far we get in our outline. If we stopped here, this would be in some ways enough. But I, let, me, let me see if I can hit the highlights of other things in other ways that God speaks to you in, in the midst of your anxieties. The way I have number three in your outline is, is take your cues from Jesus. That's, you want to grow in faith. Faith is a kind of vision to see more clearly. And to, for your vision to improve, for you to see these spiritual realities, the Lord of hosts surrounding his people, to see them, you take your cues from Jesus. You look at him. You see him. And um, your faith is encouraged. I, we have a little woods behind our house. And we had a family that was staying with us for a few months. And the, one of the younger boys, we just had a really sweet relationship. Um, it was just, it, it, was, it was fun. He would look to me, he would tell me his problems, and, and we would play together. He did not like the woods. Uh, just right up the street. Um, the deer from Hillside Cemetery come there every evening and eat everything in our property before they get to the woods. <laughs> so, so I thought I would give him a spiritual object lesson where I would take him in the woods and, and I would carry him close to my bosom and I would say, don't worry, I'm with you. As a way to speak about what God does. So we're in the backyard playing. I said, let's do something special. So I picked him up, started going into the woods, and he screamed. He screamed. The, in every single step, he screamed until we finally got back into the backyard. Well, here's, I am not the Lord. I was not sufficient for him. But, um, but here's how your faith can grow. Here's a passage, and perhaps two passages here. Uh, one passage is Matthew 8, and the, the story of the disciples in the boat, the storm comes up. And, and, and Jesus is in the back of the boat, and he's asleep. Now, here's the first thing you see about Jesus. You know the story, by the way, the Matthew 8 story? Uh, I'm assuming you're familiar with it in some way. And, and he's asleep. One of the things that the disciple missed was they were not taking their cues from Jesus. Uh, one time I was in a, a country I was completely lost. I had a person who was with me who was a native of that country. And we we're going to another country. And he knew both of them. Oh, so we're, we're in this traffic. And we're supposed to get to the plane at a certain time. And I'm thinking, this is, this is not going to happen. We're, we're not going to get to the plane on time. And, and sometimes I do well with that. Sometimes I do less well. Uh, but, then, but there were there's some deadlines associated with this. And I'm thinking, we're not going to get there in time. And then I looked at this guy, and he just was cool as can be. And I said, well, if he's OK with this, what do I have to worry about? Um, I took my cue from him. He was. He was not worrying, so I didn't worry. Now, it turned out that I was wrong. We did miss the plane. Uh, <laughs> but, but you understand my illustration, at least. Uh, 
in the midst of your anxieties, it's not that you have a God who doesn't care, but you look at him from this particular vantage point of this storm, and he's sleeping in the boat. Psalm 4.8, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's the edge that you have now over the disciples. You see, the one who is in charge of all things, you see him sleeping in the back of the boat. If he's not worried about it, then I don't have to be worried about it. This is, this is one of the ways that your faith can be encouraged. I'll give you three ways. Uh, as you take your cues from Jesus, you watch that he himself is not worrying. Then you recognize that he is the one who cares for you. He loves you. The third one will be, and he is very powerful. Those are three ways you see in stories throughout Scripture. Uh, in fearful situations where the Lord helps us, the Lord speaks to you in the midst of the fearful situation. Take your cue from me. I'm not worrying, he says. Uh, the second thing is not in this particular order. Uh, in the Matthew 8 version of the story, Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus is aroused and he calms the, calms the sea. And he says, oh, you have little faith. In the Mark version, uh, Peter comes to him and says, don't you care? Don't you care? We, we all know of God's love for us. But some of us know it a little bit, but some of us are a bit more confident of it than others. Some of us in the back of our minds were thinking, why would he ever love me knowing these things about me? Well, one of the things he says to you in the midst of your anxieties is when you say, don't you care, he is, doesn't rebuke you, but he is willing to speak of his care for you. And we're not going to get into the details of this, but do you have a passage of scripture that is a go-to passage of scripture that persuades your heart that your God cares for you. Is it right there? Is it right there? If it is not right there, then this is the word of Christ for you. That if there's anything he wants to give you, along with the knowledge of his presence, it is the knowledge of his love, which goes right with his presence. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I get all excited about this. Um, uh, uh, the, the spirit... When the Spirit comes, and he has come, one of the key features of his mission is to have you be certain of God's love for you. Utterly certain. And I don't tend to be certain of God's love for me. Uh, over, over, over 40 years or so, I am growing in it. But this, this is your opportunity in the midst of your anxiety question sort of proceeds out of your own heart. Don't you care? And then he speaks of his care. If you don't have verses like that, ask somebody else for their verses. Search for them. And give them out to others. You take your cues from Jesus. He's not worried. Number one. Number two, he does care for you. Number three, he is the Lord who has all authority. Colossians says that Jesus himself is a maker of heaven and earth, 
and through him all things hold together. You just happen to have the right person with you. You just happen to have the right person. He is the one who doesn't even have to be there for his word to have authority. And so he speaks authority over the waters. And of course, since he has authority, the waters even respond to his word. And people are freaked out by it. Now, we want to do more than be freaked out. We want to know. Here's, here's a way you can get into this one. To, again, we're, we're talking about three ways to take our cues from Jesus. He doesn't get anxious. He loves you. And he is the Lord. This is this, is one of the, this has been one of the gifts to my own soul in the midst of my anxieties, to simply call him in prayer, you are not just Lord, you are my Lord. Scripture is big on possessive pronouns. I am yours and you are mine. You are my Lord. And sometimes when we go before the Lord or the King, we, we speak about him a bit. You are my Lord the maker of heaven and earth, who calms the seas with a very word. In the midst of your anxieties, could you imagine, could you imagine growing up to be a child and being able to say such a thing? For those of you who have, be amazed, be amazed at the very work of Christ in you. Sometimes we don't get to see, sometimes we think the power of the Spirit is that he is going to take away our anxieties immediately. That is not the power of the Spirit, because you will have more anxieties. The power of the Spirit is that you turn to him and you see him. You see the God who is the maker of heaven and earth, and you identify him as the Lord who is over all. Nobody does that apart from the Spirit. That's, that is the power of God. And too often, in the midst of our fears, we feel like we've been abandoned by the Lord. Because it seemed, because, because the, the way we make our judgments is, is, are the fears lesser? That is not the way we make these judgments. We're growing in our fears if we are turning to him a bit more quickly. If, if we are seeing him a bit more clearly. If we are pouring our hearts out to him when we were keeping it to ourselves before. That's what the power of the Spirit looks like. For me, one of the gifts in dealing with anxieties is to know that he indeed is the Lord. Now, you have in your outlines another passage, and we will get back to that, I think. This is, another, this is perhaps the best-known passage. It's talking about a money context in Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. Uh, it has the same kinds of things in it. Watch Jesus. He's going for a walk with you. He's not anxious. He's, because, because he's saying, I trust my Father. The variation, the, the, the Father, Son, Spirit being involved in creation. I trust my Father in this walk. Take your cue from me. And then what do we, what do we hear? Our Father considers you as much more important than the birds of the field, the flowers the, 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 the birds of the, the sky and the flowers of the field. You are much more important than they. Do you know that he cares for you? And then he is, he is the God who is in control of all history. He will worry about tomorrow as, as you deal with today. 
take your cues from Jesus and set out to grow in, in knowing that he's not worried right now. It doesn't make him less sympathetic to your worries, but it's, it's nice to know that the one you're with is, it, it has things in hand. He speaks of his care for you, and, and you are growing to know him as the Lord who is over all things. And there's more and more and more. There's, there's, there's something that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, but it's so important. In that Matthew 6 passage, there's a, there's a phrase that should trigger something in our minds. And basically, it's an allusion to today or tomorrow. Don't worry about today. <laughs> uh, I mean, sorry, don't worry about tomorrow. Rather, live for the kingdom of heaven today. When you, when you find some allusion to today and tomorrow, it is taking you back to the Old Testament story of the manna. Here is, here is the way that the Lord schooled his children. And this is very important, and I know you know it, but it, it remains one of the ways of God that are, are, are going to be so useful, so helpful for our own souls. So you have people who are destitute, who can't do any battle, can't grow any crops, going from Egypt into the desert. Now indeed, they're coming out with some food and things, but how long is that going to last when you have this many people walking through the desert? And, and so what the Lord does is he gives them food. And, and he has this brilliant way of doing it. He gives them manna for one day, not for two, unless the Sabbath is coming. Because if he gave it to you for two, you would no longer be the needy, dependent person that you were created to be. You would rest in your silos. You have enough manna sitting around the house, and so you're happy. And, and when you see it getting down to the last grain, all of a sudden now you become desperate, and you say, Lord, help. You see, it's, it's brilliant. He gives you everything you need for today, and then when tomorrow comes, he will give you what you need for tomorrow. He gives you what you need today. He will worry about tomorrow. He has tomorrow in hand. A, a seminal story for me here. I, this is, here's, here's among my various fears. Um, I have a fear of drowning. And it's, it's because it, it, I, I actually like water. I like to be around it. And so I've had near-drowning experiences. And, and I've talked to a number of people who, they, when they speak of drowning experiences that they've had, they say, you know, it's... It's, it's like you let go. It's, it's very relaxing. I am persuaded that every one of those stories is an abject lie. Uh, <laughs> because when, I'm, when, when I feel like I'm drowning, I, I, I'm, I, I feel like my lungs are going to burst. So, so my wife and I were watching a movie. had a drowning episode in it. And it was, to me, it was, my palms were all sweaty. And, and it was just one of the worst, for me, it was the worst kind of drowning episode. So... I said, okay, Lord, this is, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. Lord, help, help. Great start, great start. Uh, uh, and if that's all we say, that's great. And um, so where do you go? Well, his promises do not include that he, we will not die by drowning. 
That's, so that's the first, first sort of line of attack through scripture. Uh, will he keep me from drowning? Will he allow me to die in my sleep? Um, uh, there's, well, there's no promise of that. The, but what he does say, given this passage, is, is if indeed drowning is what he has for us, or dementia, or strokes, or whatever it might be, he will give us all the grace. You can see the change in the word. The word's man in the Old Testament. The word is grace in the New Testament. He will give us all the manna we need for that particular day. Now, of course, when I imagine drowning, I am imagining without God present. I am imagining it without knowledge of his, without, without an awareness of how his grace is going to work out in that particular day. You see, you see how it works. It's today. Today, you have plenty to do. You seek his kingdom, which means what? You grow in dependence and faith. You look for somebody to love. You consider what's your mission right now. That's, you're busy with those things. You have, you have blinders on, so, so, so the future belongs to him. That's, you see the beauty of that? Uh, by the way, a lot, of, a lot of secular material is starting to say the same things. Now, they're saying it not because they know that God has the future in hand, but, but their encouragement is in the midst of things from the past or the future that, that, that occupy us, live fully in the present. That's that's what they're saying. We have something obviously much, much deeper than that. This has been helpful for me uh, to identify myself as a false prophet when I talk about the future. Because it's my anxieties, at least my anxieties, they tend to envision. They tend to imagine what could possibly be. And, you know, I've never been correct. You know, in, in the details, I have never, ever been correct. Now that declares me as a false prophet, so I should never be trying to make a prophecy ever, ever again, because I've already demonstrated that I am not a true prophet when it comes to predicting the future. That doesn't keep me from trying. But let's put it more personally. In Matthew chapter 6, he is, he is, he is reinvigorating the story of manna from the wilderness. And he says this, I know that life is very difficult. I know that there are dangers galore. Uh, I, I know if, if there's a bad harvest, you're wondering, will, will my wife, will, will my family, will I, will, will the people I love have enough for, for the coming season? He says, I know these things because I know you. Not to mention he's, he's, he is the embodied one who has gone through life as, as human. He understands the difficulties. And he says, I will be the one to worry about tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, you will have grace that morning for tomorrow. Today, you have a calling. You're, you're my servant. You're my child. How can you live today? What does it mean to, to have faith expressing itself in love? That is, I have found that the today 
that manna has been good for my soul. I gave you that turning point. Since that turning point, it's, it's been quicker to come to mind. Uh, I can't predict the future, but here's what I know. And, and occasionally, this has crept into my soul. Tomorrow looks impossible. It looks utterly impossible. How many times have I woken up and, and, and said that about the day? I can't do, I, there's no way I can do this day. Lord, help. Every once in a while, I can't do this day. This is beyond me. I'm looking forward to seeing how the grace of God operates today. I can't imagine how it will, but I know it will. You see, it's, it's a different way of living. It's, it, it's looking in the future expectantly with a kind of hope. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to happen every day. You're going to it might happen to you once, and then, then for the next three months, it becomes elusive. That's, that's the way we grow. We grow in fits and starts. But here's a good word to you. That, that he has tomorrow. The one who is with you has tomorrow. And, and he has called you to be close to you, but also to empower you in a mission now. Today. So you think now as, as a way to live out your calling before him. And in this way, of course, this, this aspiration of being, how can we be increasingly a child? You see, an adult, they go out in the future and you got to figure it out. You've got to plan. You have to have all, everything set up that you have in case this stuff happens. A child is is one who hears the father say, don't worry about this, because I got this. I will take care of this. And here's, here's your job right now. Here's your job right now. And it's a simple enough one that all of us as children are able to do. We're going to take another break. Let me, let me pray these things, though, before, before you take your break. Father, would you... Grant us all kinds of questions about these things that we can ask of you and ask of other people. Would you, would you also give us one thing for our own soul? Uh, as I think of these things, I, I think I want to know that you are the Lord. That the one who, who has drawn me close to himself is the Lord who has authority over all of creation. Father, I pray that you would teach me those things. I want, to, I want to grow in the skill of living wholeheartedly, undistractedly today, knowing that the kingdom is unfolding and you've allowed me to be part of it, Father. I pray that you would grow my, my vision to see those things. And I pray that you would grant all of us, every brother and sister here, a gift. What is it that you have for them that is good for their souls? Thank you for how you love